Gig Gab, the show for working musicians, episode 324 for the 1st of November, 2021. Folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the show by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Napomo, California, to Paul Kent. Man, I had to think really hard. I can't remember what I said for the intro to the show, and I just hope that I said the right show. Uh, I'm exhausted today. <laughs> Sunday night gigs are weird, right? I mean, it has been they're, they're rare, but Sunday night night gigs, you know, that go late that I yeah, I can't think of the last time I did it. Although I I, I want you to tell you, me your story about your gig, but I, sure. I am going to remind you that one of my paying my dues things for the house rockers was we did a year of Wednesday night till one thirty in the morning gigs. Yeah, that's that's kind of the same thing. Yeah, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. So I did. I had. Uh, well, Saturday night, I had a, uh, we did a, our second performance of this, uh, what's going on thing. And that, uh, it went, well, it was a different venue. It was a, not a private party, but a semi-private thing, but, but it was open to the public. It was a fully vaxxed event at our friend Marty's barn. He runs a nonprofit that pulls, uh, musical instruments together and lessons for people who need them um, and, and donates his money off and all that good stuff. It's a fantastic mm -hmm. thing. And so, so that's, that was the venue that we did it at, but it was, you know, a Halloween party or whatever. It was an early gig where he is. They like to have the live music finished by about eight or eight thirty. So we were finished by about eight thirty because um, our set's only about an hour long because all we're doing is playing a 38 minute record that we stretch a little bit. And, uh, and it went well, it, you know, we all kind of came into it. Thankfully, everybody in this project is a, a real pro. And we all came into it knowing, okay, we felt pretty triumphant doing the first performance a week prior without having had enough rehearsal, which you're never going to have, uh, or at least rarely. And, uh, and we knew the, you know, the risks of the sophomore slump, right. Coming into this gig being like, oh, we did it once. It's going to be fine. Like, no. You know, it's not going to be fine if we come in with that attitude, especially. But even if we come in with exactly the right attitude, it's not going to be fine. We're, we're going to make different mistakes this time. And we did. But it was fine. Um, everybody, you know, had their eyes and ears wide open. It was much looser, which was really nice. The um, the 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 keyboard players, bass player and the drummer for the first gig really were like eyes buried in their charts. Um, and which in a sense they sort of needed to be. And with this one, I was able to catch a lot more eyes on stage and, and have a lot more of that sort of interaction, which is good. I, you know, like that to me, that that's a good thing. Um, and so it was, you know, it was nice to, to sort of have this, the, these, these little mini moments, you know what, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody, well, at least anybody who's played knows, you know, those things where somebody does a cool thing and you look and the drummer and I, John Madam and I had a, had a lot of those moments. He played some really cool fills and I know what that's like as a drummer on stage or, and it's probably true of anybody, you know, you play these things and you're like, well, that was cool. And of course, nobody looks at you because they don't play your instrument and they don't understand. But, you know, we would hook up on that quite a bit. And it was nice to, you know, have those moments. But For the, sure. the gig went well. The crowd was extremely 
eager and rooting for us and all of that, as most crowds are, right? You know, rarely do you play in front of a crowd that's, you know, hoping you fail, right? It's it's almost always the opposite. The idea is for everybody to have a good time. And so certainly. this crowd was certainly that. And it was it was over early. It was a crazy rainstorm. I think we got over two inches of rain in less than 24 hours um, here, which is obviously a lot. And so driving home from the gig and loading out, even in, you know, this rainstorm was sort of its own little ordeal and certainly driving home and, and all that. But um, so I got home from that and I was tired. Uh, you know, my wife was giving me a hard time. She's like, oh, did your mini gig wear you out? I'm like, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then Sunday morning. So yesterday morning, I recorded our Mac Geek Gab podcast, which we had to schedule differently because I was in New York last week. And uh, and then right from that, I went to the theater and we rehearsed Madhouse for probably, I don't know, well, from like I got there at like two o'clock and we rehearsed until maybe seven or something. And just We ran it all the way through once. And then uh, we have, we had some horn players sitting in who weren't there for the day rehearsal. So we had to run some things with them and, you know, some things to work or whatever. So, and then the show didn't start till nine because it was, had to be after this Halloween parade that happens in Portsmouth. And, and we finished after midnight, which meant, you know, I was finished loading out probably after one and, um, you know, home, home before two, but that it's been a long time since I've played a gig that late on any night of the week, you know, our, yeah. most of our bitter pill gigs have been relatively early and certainly relative to that. And, uh, and to do that after just an exhausting day, uh, mm. let alone the gig the night before, uh, and then, you know, rolling into a Monday, it's like, Oh yeah, it was, but it was good. It, this was the end of Madhouse. It was nice to, it's nice to have it over. Um, it, the, the, this particular episode was a little long winded because they felt like they had some storylines to wrap up and things like that. Um, but, but the end of it was fun. I wound up having to play a Buddy Rich drum solo. Um, <laughs> so I don't know who authorized putting that on the, on the song list, but evidently it was there. And, um, we, we, we finished with essentially an encore of uh, Baba O'Reilly, which our sound sound engineer sang, which was fun. It was just, you know, it was not part of the story or anything. It was just, That's like, cool. right, just rock it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we kind of went all out with that, which was fun to just be able to bash it out and, you know, and play. So. I saw that at a Billy Joel concert once where he just all of a sudden randomly, because it was the guy's birthday, yeah. uh, one of their techs come out and sing Highway to Hell to Billy Joel's band. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Cool. That's yeah. That's cool. So I, you know, it ended on certainly it ended on a, a very very high note. I, I evidently I played some fill in the middle of Bobo O'Reilly. I just dove off the cliff, you know, because that's playing a Who song. That's what you're supposed to do. And figured, oh, well, let's see is there a cliff? Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Like they're always falling off the cliff. So uh, I don't know. I played some huge fill and 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 stuck the landing, which was good. And that's all anybody wanted to talk about during the loadout. So that was like, oh, good. All right. We gave everybody a nice little memory. I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear it back to see what I did. I have no idea. I have no memory. of. of well, I remember deciding to dive off the cliff and do this film. I have no idea what I did. You know, I <laughs> so, love that. Yeah. Well, I, similarly, we had um, our big Halloween gig on, uh, on Saturday night. It was fantastic. So we sold over 300 tickets for it. People came great costumes, the venue was a great partner for us. And, you know, I think I told you this is one of the deals where 
I, I basically have gone to a venue and said, hey, you know, we have a good fan base. We're pretty good marketers. We could bring a lot of people and you can sell a lot of wine, but, you know, I don't want to pay for the venue. And so we came up with some reasonable deal for, you know, setting up and cleaning the venue, which is fair. Um, but that oh, we have we have a partnership, right? Right. You're right. And, That's um, it. Yeah. Yeah. So we did our gig on Saturday night and um, talking about songs that you have no idea what's going on. So we played dead man's party. Cause it was a, it was a, uh, that's was a great a tune. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you guys played that before you have, right? We've talked about okay. this, right? We have talked about it. We've had the chart for it and have played it, tried it for 15 years. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's odd number measures in there. It's crazy. I, and it's actually now we've had it so long, at least for me. And I think for some of the other guys, it is in our head that this is a hard song. It's not necessarily <laughs> a hard song chops wise, but it's roadmap wise. It's a hard song. It, yes, sometimes it, things happen need- four times. Sometimes things happen five times. There are two, four measures in it. Just, just there's things that go on that you really have to do. It's right? like playing come on Eileen. It like, the, like that song sounds fairly simple and each part is relatively simple. But if you don't know the roadmap, it will fall apart. Like there you go. Like, there's no question about it. If everybody's not on the same page, then it, you know, it's not just, you know, one, four, five with a four, four groove. And, you know, let's look at each other for the ending. <laughs> like, right. So I that. said, yeah. I said, we've got this big sold out Halloween gig coming up. I gave the guys three songs that we have played in, in the past and said, and we don't have any time to rehearse before that. So the day of the rehearsal, we show up at the venue early and we're going to run these songs. So, one was Werewolves of London, no problem. Three chords yeah. and the truth, and we're out. Right? You're out. That's right. Look at yeah. each other for the ending. That's it. Yep. Uh, the next one was um, uh, Bad Things, which is a, a sound a title song from that um, HBO True Blood uh, vampire show. Anyway, pretty easy one. And we were prepared on that. We played that through, and, and it was it was fine. Uh, but then it was you know Dead Man. And actually, we started the rehearsal with Dead Man. And... You know, in my mind, I was really hoping because I also, as I've shared with you many times, like in the future, our life is not going to have a lot of time for weekly rehearsals. It's right. going to be monthly rehearsals. And so, we, you know, people doing their homework at home is a really important thing. And this again, this song is requires you to learn it. It requires you to memorize it. Right. Um, yeah. So, or, or, or build a chart that's very easy for you to follow. Right. Like so, something in there, but yeah, yeah. You got to know, you have to reliably be able to get from start to finish without anyone else telling you what's next. Right. And there are little hints in it. There are little, actually, let me, let me back up in this. So, so we come in and we go to play it and um, not, not, it, it, I want to say, okay, to me, I, I cram this thing hard. And then in my mind, I'm like, uh Oh, what if I hear something in the band not played or played slightly differently? Yeah. And yeah. I'm what trying if you're to, waiting you know, for a cue that doesn't yes, come. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So you, you know, the, you actually have to be prepared to count for yourself on some of these things, right? It, it I, I found this to be true learning, a lot of any any complex arrangements. I don't want to say complex music, but complex arrangements like learning Rush songs. The the few that I've done in in bands, everyone has to know how to get themselves from the beginning to the end without relying on a musical cue from another member. And as so, and once you have that, 
then with repetition, the song can really start to come together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We yeah. sort of have that because the horns are playing to a chart. So the horns are going to be absolutely consistent every time. Right. Sure. So if you know what the horns are doing and how many times they will repeat something, you have a little bit of a lifeline that you can. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> you know, you no can grab you're right. Absolutely. Oh, it, not not a terrible thing to have a lifeline. But yeah, of course. Yeah. So sense. we, you know, we, we plug in, we start rehearsal, I call the song, uh, we get. We get 10% into the song and a couple of clams and a couple of, you know, very tentative moments. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Rewind. Go to the top. Next time we get about 22% into the song, right? Next time we get about 50% into the song. And um, and it's not so much the, – the tweaks are not so much. There's one guy who was not quite confident. I mean, he knew the riffs and he knew, he knew what – but he wasn't quite confident about the roadmap. Um, but it was getting there. And, you know, I just say we played it five or six times. By the sixth time, we got all the way through it, and yeah. it sounded like the song. I mean, it felt good. The yeah, drive yeah. was there. <laughs> you know, everything like that. So there we go. And I, I didn't want to put it first, which, it, you know, it's a great opener. But I didn't want to put it first just to let us get our, our blood going. But it was the third song in the, in the show. And I call it. We get going. And then I sing the second verse. And I can't remember what verse did I just sing, oh. right? I got lost for a moment. And when you got lost for a moment, you're kind of lost. And it took me about 20 seconds Whoa. to try and pull myself out of it. Luckily, Nick, who's got a really great mind for retention, threw me a little lifeline, got me back on stage. So I actually posted on, that, on the House Rockers Facebook page the first verse of of the or first two verses right okay right after that is where i train wreck so i didn't post that part of it <laughs> of course hey, of course yeah right but um fascinating song really fun people love it it's it's weird it's different great halloween song um but a good challenge and our horns crush it they sound great i don't think they're real horns on the recording i think it's i think they're it's a keyboard um but uh it was really cool. And so that was just a good experience. And anyway, the rest of the gig was awesome. People, grown-ups in fantastic costumes. Everybody had a good time. Uh, already the venue was like, yeah, next year we should make these changes. So I know I have a, you know, a good gig already booked for next year. And the, 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 the topper in all this, and I've shared this with you, if a band wants to control their destiny – being able to sell their own tickets is a very good thing to be able to do. Oh, yeah. So, you know, to create things that have some regularity that is associated with a lot of excitement, you know, people are happy to pay money to buy a ticket if they get the value out of it, if they have a good time. Absolutely. So this, yeah. you know, people felt they were a part of some special thing, really cool thing. Yeah. They're already asking when will tickets go on sale for next year, all that type of thing. Now, you know, we talk about an asset, this this show is a, I can almost put it in the bank. You know, we will sell it out and demand will grow and the legend of it will grow. And, you know, it ends up being a really good pay night for the band, a great thing for the band's brand. It just works on so many levels. And it's also rewarding to play for that many people who are so into you. I mean, that's the other thing about selling tickets to your own show. These people are paying money. You're not just happen to be the band that's there in the bar that night. They, this is about you. This is your, you your thing. With it? Yeah. People came to see what, what you told them you were going to put on the stage. Uh, no, right. absolutely. No, I think that's great. I, I want to, I like, this is a good conversation to have. I want to circle back to one thing you said about dissecting difficult tunes. And, you know, you said that you were playing through it in rehearsal. You know, you finally got to where you made it all the way to the end. And you said it sounded like the song. 
that that's one of those moments. And, and this is true with original music or cover songs. Like, you know, you have this idea in your head about, okay, I, you know, we've, we've arranged this thing. Let's get it there. But it's some, it often takes a few passes through before it starts to sound like, okay, this is what we think we meant to do. You, you know, it, 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 it becomes more relaxed a little bit, you know, a little, uh, less mechanical and, and musical. Th- it becomes more musical. more musical. That's exactly it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's an important, especially when you're rehearsing as a band, uh, you know, as opposed to practicing on your own or learning the parts on your own. Although sometimes depending on how your band works, you might learn your parts in the same room together. But I consider that an individual exercise, whether it's done with others present or not, right. Learning your part is one thing. And then there's rehearsing it as the band and rehearsing it enough so that it sounds like the song. And again, that can be original or cover. It doesn't matter. It, when you said that, it was like, Oh, that's such an important goal or a, right. a checkbox, you know, in the process, it's not the end, but it's, it's, you know, it is a milestone in that. Well, process. let me just say that, that there, there's a few aspects of that that are really interesting to me. So I didn't mean kudos to us for sounding note for note, like mm. the record, right? No, I didn't. That's it not sounded, what I meant. Maybe I should have taken, you said sounded like the song, but, but yeah. really we're talking about sounded like a song, a song. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was a complete thought. It, yeah. it flowed. The, the, you know, the parts fit together, you know, yes. So, so I meant that. I knew that's what you meant. And, and that's what I, that was what I latched onto is it, it Fair sounds enough. like a song, it, you know, and, and, oh, okay. Now, I mean, it may sound different in fact, than, than you had expected it, or it hoped. It sounds like a completed musical thought, but it, if, it is it's if, consistent. It's consistent. If you presented this to people, they would, you know, know to applaud at the end as opposed to, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. having question marks on their face like, oh. But it is an interesting thing about about rehearsal, you know, like yeah. you and I have said many times about rehearsal is not where you learn the song. Rehearsal is where you put all the pieces together. Uh, you know, the song actually fell a little short um, in, to my expectations of it, it shouldn't have taken us six times through. It is a hard song, so I could see it two or three times too. But, it, you know, to me, what I had hoped was this would be a good example of everybody go away, learn your part, come ready to play it confidently, yeah. and let's let's move fast. We didn't quite get there with that. And, I, and, and again, you know, I uh, actually my brain fart was much more once we actually performed the song because I started, <laughs> you know, so I so I, I'm a, com- a contributor to this. But but um, yeah, I, I would say that a little bit of this is even with that direction, like this is rehearsal. We are actually going to be performing this song in a couple of hours. So you need to be as ready as you can be. We were it, six times. So it was too many times to go through the song. Yeah, I can. I can see that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, this is, it's great. I, I love talking about this stuff. That's why we do this. Yeah, show. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I want to, uh, I, I, I solved my, my snare drum sound issue that I talked about the last time this, this theater where we, we've been doing these madhouses. It's an unforgiving room sonically. It's, it's got a lot of weird reflective surfaces and it's just a little bit bizarre. So any, Sonic issues that you might have can be completely amplified. They can also be blown out of proportion too. But you know me, I like to overthink things occasionally, Paul. You may have noticed that over uh, the years of knowing me every now and then. You? 
Yeah. You? Every now and then. And, uh, and so I, I overthought the crap out of my snare sound as I discussed, you know, about a month ago or whatever on the show here. And I have an answer for that. The next thing that I, so I will talk about that. I promise. Uh, the next thing I want to do though, is I want to tell you about our sponsor, which is ultimate ears pro. We talk about ultimate ears here on the show regularly, whether they are a sponsor of the episode or not. And that's because ultimate ears is, uh, makes products that Paul and I use. We use their, uh, custom fitted in-ear monitors, the ultimate ears pro stuff. And we've loved this stuff. It's reliable. It sounds good. It works well. The fit is good. Uh, you know, they, they, they work to make sure that your fit is good, and and they've been doing this for a very long time, right? You know, they, since 1995, believe it or not, is is when they started doing this. Yeah, and and that's you know, there's a reason that these things that, that they're in your monitors are essential tools for so many people, not just you and me, like people whose names you might actually know. And uh, and they, they they you know they they work to really make these things fit what you need and they have many different models that that uh that sort of fit the the realm and you can go to the website and check it out we've got a link in the show notes uh they've recently added you know so they've been custom fit on the inside uh forever that's sort of their stock and trade there and then the outside the the part that other people see you've been able to customize uh once at the time that you order it and you get a faceplate that, you know, is either a pattern or a color or clear, if that's your thing or, you know, whatever you like. And uh, now they've got UE switch, which are their interchangeable faceplates that give you the freedom to express yourself any way you want at any time. And so you can customize them on the fly with a variety of colors and, and different materials, even and, and all different decorative details or even your own custom artwork. So you got to check that out. And you can check it all out and save a little bit of money. Go to pro.ultimateears.com and use our code GIGGAB20, that's G-I-G-G-A-B 20, to get 20% off the most of the UE Pro line. From the UE7s and up is, is where this works. And so that's the UE7 Pros, the UE11 Pros, the Reference, the 18 Plus, and the UE Lives. So go check this out pro.ultimateears.com code giggab20 and our thanks of course to ultimate ears for sponsoring the episode and doing what they Thank do you, ultimate ears yeah, yeah great so about that snare drum sound i you know i listened to some audience recordings which are also notoriously miss fraught with misinformation right you know a recording from a, a phone or really any recording is even a professional recording is going to be influenced by the microphones and the placement of the microphones and all of that stuff. So you sort of have to factor that in. But like I said, I love to overanalyze things just for the sake of overanalyzing them. And so I thought about the different snare drums that I had been using in there. Uh, most recently I'd, I was using my uh, black beauty, my Ludwig. And I realized, okay, that's probably got a little bit too much presence for this room. Okay. So I started thinking about, okay, what, what sounds am I hearing out of it? What tones am I hearing that I, I don't want? And I decided to try my Eames birch snare. So going from a, a metal you know snare that the Black Beauty is, uh, nickel-plated, uh, uh, bra brass over nickel, right, is what the Black Beauty is. I told you I'm tired today. I can't remember any of this stuff. <laughs> uh, so I, I moved – I went to my Eames, my master model snare, which is actually – it's a birch snare – it's got 24 plies of birch. So it's an, in, an inch thick 
and it's a super sensitive snare drum. It can have a huge top end, but it, it's got a really focused tone because that's what birch does for drums. You know, uh, when it comes to wood, oak gets a really deep sound. Uh, maple gets a very sort of uh, bombastic sound. It's got a lot of overtones and it's great for like live rock and roll. It, you know, you can really kind of be explosive. Uh, whereas birch is more focused and, and you get real like specific tones out of the drums. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go with birch. That sounds good. And then based on comments from some of you, I decided to try out this thing called the big fat snare drum. And it's, uh, it's actually a line of products. Now I used, I wound up using their Steve's donut. The idea behind the big fat snare drum is it is a piece of essentially plastic that you sit over your snare drum head that lowers the fundamental of it and takes out a ton of overtones, which in a room that amplifies overtones, I thought would be a really good idea. And so they, like I said, they have a, an entire product line. The original big fat snare drum is just one, essentially one piece of, um, you know, it's, it's a solid thing. Whereas this Steve's donut, uh, covers the outer rim of the drum and then leaves a six inch hole in the middle where you can actually hit your drum head. And so I tried both of them and I figured the Steve's donut would probably be the right thing. The, the, the original was, was making it sound way too much like the seventies. And mm. I was not going for that seventies sound. I was going for a, a, a deader beginning to it and, and still letting the drum speak a little bit. And so this Steve's donut really made a difference. And, um, I was like instantly, as soon as I hit it in there, I was like, oh, okay, we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction. And, uh, and after the show last night, I had a ton of people, uh, comment on my snare sound and how they felt it like, like completely unprompted. And the sound engineer said he heard the same thing. Now I don't know. He may have heard it. Non-drummers. No, uh, yeah. Non-drummers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, all right, success for this room. But that, you know, the, the, that's sort of the thing is every room we play in, and it doesn't matter if you're playing a snare drum or a guitar or a bass or you're singing or whatever, like there's the awareness of the environment is super important. And I know I've been preaching this since we started this show, but if you get to a gig and you just pull out the same stuff that you use at every other gig and which of course, if you're using, you know, guitarist with an amp, that makes sense. Uh, but if you're not thinking about adjusting your tone to match the room in which your amp sits or the room in, in my case, in which my snare drum sits, you're 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 missing out on on that tone. You know, I, I always say it, you can make things sound great in your bedroom or your studio or whatever it is you have. And I certainly can do that. But it, you take it out of here and now it's a different environment. So you have to make things sound great in that environment and and the same settings or even instruments that you use in one environment to make it sound great aren't necessarily going to work in every, there is no one size fits all because every room is different. And even when you're playing in stadiums, I've, I'm told I've never played in stadiums, but even when you're playing in stadiums, I've, uh, you know, different rooms sound different. Now, when a room gets big enough, if you, assuming you've learned to control your stage volume, then you can let the front of house system compensate for the anomalies of each room that you're in. Right. But until you're playing in, in arenas, at least uh, I, that's not really part of it. Like it's part of it, but it's not, it's not, it can't do everything because so much of what's going to get out to the ears of the audience 
is coming from what you're doing on stage in in most places that most of us who listen to this show or produce this show uh, play. So it's just, I don't know. I obsess no, about I it, of course. Rust. Russ often brings two to three, four snares to yeah. a gig. And, and I always wonder what he's doing or why. I, th- I figure he's just he's just experimenting with sound, but he's, I, you know, it makes more sense that he's actually tuning to the room. He's tuning. you got to tune to the room. And, and sometimes the easiest way to do that is to just grab another instrument that's already, you know, yeah. it, it going in the direction you want. Yeah, I'd sort of gotten lazy about it at this particular theater over the years, thinking that I had, you know, kind of dialed it in and, and wasn't really... Uh, worried about it and then and then as like i said as i heard these recordings it was like uh oh uh my complacency is costing me so yep yeah yeah and i know I have something it's to, crazy that's what i share with you yeah uh interesting situation so i got uh an offer to play an acoustic gig for a new place oh nice congratulations um yeah thank you it was it was you know flattering to be asked and they um said hey good news we have we'd like you to come play are you available at this time of this date and I thought about my response for a second. I was available. Right. Um, it's a little farther away than it would typically go for for uh, an acoustic gig. And so in that, you know, if this is going to happen, it has to be worth my time. You know, it's not something that I can – it would be an investment, right? Right. So I stood there with my toes on the edge. Do I – actually, let, let me flip this around. I have two experiences. When I was living in the Bay Area – more often than not, places would say, we'd like you to pay and, and we we play and we pay this. I'm actually finding down here, um, venues ask more, what do you charge for a two-hour show or three-hour show? They're asking what your rate is. Oh. That's more, I don't know what it is with you, but the, the, the end of this thought is, since this was a little bit farther away, I decided to just jump the gun here, knowing that you know it might be a deal breaker and deciding I was okay. I went ahead and said, yeah, my rate for a three-hour show would be this, right? I have not heard back. I I, No, that's not right. I heard back, and they said, hey, you know, we're just getting music going in this venue. Um, Can you give us – can you give us a break, you know? So so a a flood of things, like, I, you know, the first thing was, like, did they ask the guy who built out their restaurant to give him a break? Did they – you know, the food that they're buying for their – for their – you know, customers, are they asking for a break on that? So yeah. the yeah. answer is obviously no. Uh, you know, yeah. You don't need to ask that question. Always. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I built in the assumption that that might come back, that there might be a little negotiation. So I had a little room. And so I, I said, sure, I'll do it for this. Uh, I, you know, the first couple for this, if there's going to be more than a first couple, right. So I'm not going to give it away on, you know, on the hope that, you know, I might get it back sometime, yeah, yeah. you know, if I do something for you, you do something for me. And I haven't heard back. So a whole bunch of things to to deconstruct here. One is uh, the question for you, where you where you play, do you think more often or not you're asked what do you charge or more often or not? And I'm not talking about like I would imagine weddings. They always ask. Right. You know, yes. someone, a private person is always like, you know, what do you charge? Totally. But when you play a public show, a bar gig. A, a, a you know a civic concert series is it a fixed fee take it or leave it or is there a negotiation generally speaking it's here's what we will pay you know we'd like you to play we'd like you to play here's what we will pay would you would you take the gig now 
I need to say that I am generally not the one booking gigs here. So this is based on my understanding of things, not my firsthand experience with things. But I'm I'm pretty confident in, in my answer here. Of course, if I'm wrong, somebody will tell me feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Actually, if I'm wrong, somebody will text me because it's generally somebody that I'm in a band with already. Uh, <laughs> but but feel free to tell us, you know, feedback, what it's like in your area. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Yeah. Um, I'm interested if people have a response to when you get asked to cut your rate. Well, that, like, do you, you know, do you ever go back and say, I don't know, do, you know, have, a, have the other trades that you work with cut your like, do you do you actually get into it with them and try and yeah, or do you just take it as a red flag? Like, oh, they're trying to lowball me. This is not going to be a good relationship or, you know, wh- what do you do with that information when someone asks you that that earnest question? It's all of the above. Generally speaking, because it is a red flag, right? You know that if they're asking that question chances are things are only going to go downhill from there, at least in terms of your experience at the club, right. Or at the gig, unless you started super high, right. Like, you know, where they're like, Oh, we, we, you know, here's how things work here. And and if they really come back with a professional response that paints a picture as to why the rate should be lower, other than we're just getting started, please help us. You know, um, because I, like as a band, you could call a club and say the same thing. We're just getting started. Please help us. You know, we'd love it if you could pay us double for the first couple of gigs so that we could get our, <laughs> our equipment right. You know, cause we don't have the best gear like that to me. When somebody says, we're just getting started, please give us a break. It's okay. We're just getting started. You know, we don't, the, whatever, we might not be finished building the stage. We haven't really figured out how to do this. It is the general message I get from that. And we've certainly gotten that here. You know, it's, it's not, but it's only with, with new or um, inexperienced venues. And generally speaking, these are the places you don't enjoy playing for some reason right now. Well, you know, the interesting thing, I I will agree with you a thousand percent because you would think that the right thing to do is, is if you want to make good relationships with musicians and, you know, you want to be a place where musicians want to play and it, and you want to create a, a music positive vibe. If you ask someone to cut your rate, you should realize what you're asking, right? Cause yeah. it is someone else's livelihood. You might want to say, Hey, but I can throw in some food and, you know, and drinks for the night and, you know, offer something right. rather than you do something for me for the pleasure of me paying you yet, you yet know, less. less than what, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, so, no, that's it. It, right. It, it's, it, but it so rarely, I've certainly experienced what you just described where it's like, Hey, look, in terms of cash, this is the most we can do. And in fact, I had some gigs that we did with UNH, believe it or not there that we would play there uh, for the sports, uh, the, like the, 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 um, what would I call this? The athletic department, the athletic department. Thank you. Uh, we would play there. Um, thanks to the fundraisers for a fantastic season event. Right. And, and so like, you know, that there's lots of money involved because they're, we're literally putting on the event for people who are donating, you know, tens of thousands or more dollars each to be a participant in the sport. And then they're just throwing this event for them. But in terms of the budget for their event, they were limited and and you could see it like they would very much be, look, we here's what we can pay you in cash. And they would do the same like the, the venue would not be the most glitzy venue. It would be a venue that they could get on a Tuesday night. Right. Like they were very clearly doing this on a budget friendly 
path because the money was going to the athletic department. It wasn't going to to profits, although obviously we could argue about all of that in college athletics, <laughs> uh, but we're not going to. Right. But like in terms of the budget that had been carved out for this party, for better or for worse, it was a limited budget. And so but they would and I assume they did this with their catering and the venue even and all of that It'd be like, but, you know, we have a lot that we can offer in trade. So in addition to this, not insulting, but but also not not overly generous amount of cash that we're going to pay you, uh, we can give you, you know, uh, tickets to events. I wound up negotiating with them for uh, VIP parking. We my son and I would go to almost every home UNH hockey game, uh, you know, when, when he was home and growing up. And so we negotiated for VIP parking. And let me tell you, in, you know, December, January and February, when it's like two degrees outside, being able to park right next to the venue, that's worth a lot, you know, and and I mean, I think they would sell that VIP parking for about two grand to someone. Right. And they yeah. would, the guy would just give it to me. He's like, yeah, sure. Here's your passes. And I don't know if anybody else knew that he did this. Right. Like, you know, but it was a, it was a negotiation between two people and both people walked away very happy. And uh, and and so like there was that sort of thing. And, and I've had other experiences with that over the years, too. It was great. But most of the time, that's not what happens. They just say, will you lower your rate? And then you get there and you realize, oh, well, they're not going to give us a deal on food. There's no free drinks. You, you know, everything well, is they, budget, budget, This is budget. my thought on this, Dave, yeah. is like for, for the musicians out there who are not terribly comfortable as negotiators. Yeah. I think that, that one good thing to bring out of this conversation, if someone asks you to cut your rate, A, oftentimes the people who book bands – um, not always, you know, sometimes it's like a business owner who, you know, is a business person, right? And they're, you know, they're negotiating. But if someone asks you for something, that is kind of an open door to a negotiation. You can get something for that, whether it, and what I wanted out of this for me cutting my rate was a guarantee of more gigs and a longer term relationship, right? Yeah. Right. So I said, I can do this for the first couple if there's going to be more than the, than the first couple, right? So like my expectation is you want something from me. I can do that, and I really would like to make this work with you, but, you know, work with me. If someone's not willing to work with you, eight times out of ten, it's probably a, a good sign what your relationship with that one is going to be. You, you, you just don't ask for something and, and not be expected to give something in return. But also, in terms of this kind of opportunity to negotiate, if someone asks, again, we're, we're just talking about negotiation skills, the ask is, an, you know, especially for someone who's not an experienced negotiator, is an uncomfortable thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And they may know that they have the upper hand that if they, if you don't play, someone else will. But if someone's been interested enough in you, you know, there's interest. I mean, there's you're in the game with them. If someone asks you to do something for them, that is a great time for you to figure out, you know, all right. And you know, again, if this is done over email, you have time to think about what you want to ask for. If it's done on the phone, you know, got to be ready, you know, quicker in on the your moment. Feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, one, I mean, if one thing, email, what, what do you want to get from this? What, what do you want to do? Like, okay, you know, cool. Seems like we're getting closer on this type of thing. I'm really flattered. You want me to play. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I could cut my rate, but you know, this is my, you know, this is my livelihood. I could cut my rate, but you know, can I ask that you'll do something for me? Human nature of a non-experienced negotiator, that would make, that would make logical sense. 
I do something for you, you do something for me. So you have an opportunity to get something for whatever you might, you might be doing for well, be ready to ask specifically for what that you want that to be. Absolutely. You, you know, don't leave it up to them at that point, Agreed. you know, because that ask for meals, ask right. for longer term engagement, ask what? for parking passes, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. Yeah. One thing we yep. do at, for the podcast here, so I'm just going to say at backbeat media, which is true because backbeat is the company of mine that, that manages our sponsorships here. Uh, but we definitely do it for this show is we will, if somebody, uh, you know, comes in and they're like, okay, is that the best rate you can do? Yes. And if they push back, we'll say, you know, we'll offer you a, a buy three, get one deal. So mm-hmm. your, your effective, you know, net rate per episode is lower, but we're getting three out of you instead of one. And the nice part about buy three, get one. And I can say this confidently because we've been doing it for a long time is when people come back to renew, which is something we always are looking for, not just in podcast ads, but in gigs, right? We want we want the clubs to renew with us. Uh, the rate that's on the table is the most important one, because oftentimes you don't get asked to do the buy three, get one on the renewal. If you had reduced your rate by 30 percent. That's the rate that you're starting with for any renewals, right? Sure. But if you leave your rate where you like it and offer just, a, well, a throw in a freebie, you know, you, you pay us for the first three, we'll, we'll do the fourth for free. You know, that that's fine. Then when it comes time for the fifth, you're back to your standard rate as opposed to this 30% cut. And that, you know, over time that can make it. It not only makes a, a tangible difference, it makes a perceived difference that this is your rate. You just threw in one for free. You didn't lower your rate. You threw in one for free. And, point. and, and I, again, I know that at the end of the day, the amount of money that you get and the amount of money they spend is, is the same, but there is this perception, especially when you're looking down the road at the renewal. So, yeah. Yeah. And I also think rarely do deals get better over time, right? It's so hard to make a deal get better over time, but to increase a price over time, I'll say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's difficult. I mean, your cable company is really good at it. So, you know, maybe take a lesson from them and, uh, but you know, they do it without even telling you. So that's kind of cool. I don't know that we could get away with that as musicians or really even Absolutely. as humans, but you know, the cable companies you know, don't these- seem to mind. <laughs> Yeah, these negotiating tips, I think, are helpful. I mean, they certainly would have helped me, you know, as I was starting to get into Mm. this type of stuff and booking things. And, you know, here's a funny thing about it. Net-net, I asked for $350 for a three-hour gig. He said, can you throw me something? I offered him back $300 and said, I'd be happy to, you know, help you out. And And that's, you know, what, on a percentage basis? That's percent or something, something, right? Something, right? Yeah. So here's the funny thing. If you wanted 50%. 14%, sorry. Well, if you wanted, if you wanted, if you wanted, you know, if you wanted, wanted to pay 200 and again, he hasn't offered anything. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I still don't know, but think about it. The, the weird thing about this is that we're talking about a hundred, $150. I mean, we're, you know, to the, to the person who that's part of your living, that's a fair amount, right? You know, that's, yeah. you know, well, every, it's, but to, it's a hundred percent. The way I look at it is it's a hundred percent of what you're getting out of that particular night, right? Whatever you're paid, that's what you're getting. So that's a hundred percent of you. If you look at the venue, what percentage of, of their gross for the night are you charging them and, or are they paying you? However you like to look at it. And you know, it's certainly hopefully less than a hundred percent and so that, you know, that 14% to you of dropping 50 bucks, 
where does that $50 come in for them? Or even like you said, a hundred dollars, if a hundred dollars is going to make, is going to be a make or break for a, a, a bar or a club on a night, I can tell you, you're not going to enjoy playing there. Like, That's exactly like, my point. Guarantee That's it. exactly my point. Guarantee So, it. you know, I get it. People watching their pennies when they're opening a business. I sort of get that a lot, but. You also need to make want- an investment when you're opening a business. I, right. You can't expect and again, to make- other trades. Other trades didn't have to kick in for this. Why musicians? And so, you know, but, but it is the fact, you know, this is why, you know, the guy who's a weekend warrior who, you know, just wants to play for his wife and neighbors will take that gig at whatever it's offered. So, you know, what do we as, as musicians who are, you know, trying to toe the line here and, and, and maintain the value of, you know, what is our thing? So yeah. be a good negotiator. Think about the long game, recognize the flags, try to coach a client into good behavior, right? With, you know, not, not Ooh, scold them, I like not, this. not shame them. You know, what are the things that you're trying to do in order to, you know, be a responsible working musician? And I think all those things kind of go into this, but, but, you know, your point about, is you know rarely is that the deal going to get better over time. So if you go in low, you know you're going to and you agree to go in low, and they know that you'll go low. You know, rarely does it they say, "Hey, you've been a good guy. We're going to pay you more now." I'm not saying it never happens, but it's a, it's a pretty rare thing. You're, you're just kind of that, setting a bar. It happens, but it never happens with the person who asks you to lower your rate. It might happen with the person that you've been working with for a while and they say, you know, you guys have been doing great here. You know, whatever. We've been having good nights when you're here. Our cloud, our crowd likes you. Your crowd comes, whatever all of that formula looks like. I've certainly had clubs at the end of the night say, you know, we're going to throw some extra in because because this partnership is valuable to us. But the person that asked you to lower your rate on day one is not someone who's who generally not someone who even thinks that way, right. uh, let alone has the, 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 the business savvy or the acumen to, to like know how to deal with that. So yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen <laughs> unfortunately, but the, it, like you said, it's the leverage game, right? Like you can choose, we all can choose to, if this person comes back and says, well, I know you want three fifty, and then you, you thank, thank you for graciously offering to take 50 bucks off. I know they're not going to say it that way, but we need you to take an extra hundred off. We need to, we can pay you a max of 200. You know, that person is not going to be like, you can choose to walk away from that. You can say, no, thank you. Right. Yeah. That's your leverage in this at the, like the ultimate leverage is I'm not going to play that gig. But like you said, there are people that the priority is not to maintain the value of live music and live performance. The priority is to go play for my my friends or my wife or my girlfriend or you know whatever it is. And and so then the club has all the leverage when it comes to the right. money. So my coda on this would be the way that you walk away is actually Part of, like you know, like you are always as a musician playing the long game in terms of your booking relationships. You want you know you you always want people interested in you, right? Yep. And you having the fortitude to say, "Hey, I wish you a lot of luck." You know, unfortunately, this is my living, and you know I, that that's what I charge for night or my services. You actually, you know, don't do it as be a jerk. You know, you let them know that y- you uphold your value. Um. And uh, you get it, you know, sometimes it's not a good deal for both people and you, everything needs to be win-win. So, you know, the way that you walk away from that is also, um, 
is also important because what you want is everybody in the world who, who books music to know that you're serious about what you do, that you're not, you know, you don't want to be the cheapest guy in the block and that's no. okay. And, and, you know, you can walk away without your middle finger up in the air. Absolutely. Uh, just say, Hey, you know, yeah. I, if, if you ever need, you know, a, 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 my, what I do, I would love to do it for you. You know, I, I do hold on to my, onto my rate because, you know, it is my living. So, I think the way that you say that is a really important thing. Absolutely. And you probably, even if you don't get this get this booking, because whatever, they're just someday they may need somebody and they will pay you your rate because you kind of established them. Yeah. You were respectful but, to them, even though you, you said no, right? Like that's, right. that's the key is you can, yep, yeah. you are no, always it doesn't have to be a middle finger. No, it could be like, well, sorry, this doesn't work out. Yes. There is an indignancy that they didn't ask any other trades to, to lower their rate. Probably maybe they did, but um, there is a little Probably bit of indignancy that musicians, <laughs> right? That musicians seem to, but you know that's the world we live in. I, I, I have. I mean, they probably do ask musicians. their food suppliers to lower their rates. They, but you know that that's more of a negotiation. General, yeah, they don't exactly. ask their they don't ask their landlord to lower his rates. They don't, you know. Yeah. Only where they perceive to have the leverage to do so might they ask about something like that's that. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, but again, you know, if you're a food supplier. You do want to lower that bar and, you know, establish a new rate? No, you're going to say, well, you know, I can give you, you know, this month's bill for less, but it's going up after the first and you have to sign a two month, you know, yeah, deal. Right. That's, that also is what your, what your internet provider and your cable company do, right? That's true. They'll, they'll yeah. cut it for the first year. And then on day one of the year two, your bill goes up, right? And they, they, they assume you remember that from the negotiation 13 months prior, not, uh, they certainly don't, uh, call you at the end of 12 and say, or end of 11 and a half and say, you know, your rate's going to go up. Would you like to uh, renegotiate? Right. No, no, they never do that. You have to, you have to stay on top of that. That yeah. That's a little tip though, is if, if you're in that scenario with your cable provider or whatever, uh, put a note in your calendar to do that every 11 months, they will renegotiate with you, but they, they, they have no incentive to do so if you don't call them. <laughs> so right. Unless there is some incentive where if you've got lots of competition in your area, then they will call you because they know, but otherwise, yeah. So anyway, you know, the the note there, yeah, leverage is key. Understand how to, who has it and how to, how to deal with it. If you don't have it is a good thing as well. But, you know, I think the thing is always be a professional. Um, No need to stick your middle finger up. Everything is a long game. You know, that booking guy will go. And some someone new may come in with different perspectives on things and different value to music. But if you pissed off the bar staff and the owner, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. If you burn that bridge in any way, you burn the bridge. Play the long game and always. That's how that's the one of the great ways to conduct your business because new opportunities will come up. And no, no is not. No is not. No forever. Right. No, no, of course not. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. As we said in the show, feedback at giggabpodcast.com is where uh, where you can find us. You got anything else for uh, for today, my friend? Don't cut your rates and always be performing. That's how it's going to work. Thanks for listening, folks. I'll say it one more time. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. As my friend Paul Kent said, always be professional and always be performing. Yeah. 